Good morning. Have you ever noticed how often the Bible talks about Christians struggling with sin? It's really surprising how often that subject comes up in Scripture. I wish someone would have told me about this years ago. I wish someone would have explained to me that growing in your relationship with Jesus does not mean the absence of sin in your life. I mean, it'd be nice if that were true, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be good if you could just say, hey, I got saved and, and I shut the door on everything and, and I'm never going to struggle with that again? That would be nice if that were true. And I'm going to tell you something, we will get that in heaven. But you're not going to experience that here today. You're not going to experience that this next week. In fact, if you think that just because you're a Christian, there should be this absence of sin in your life, you're going to be a very defeated and disappointed Christian. See, victory is not absence of sin in your life. Victory is Christ giving me the strength to overcome the sin in my life. That's victory. Christ in me, through the Holy Spirit, is what enables me to live my life for Jesus Christ. Christ in me through the Holy Spirit is what enables me to overcome the sin that has overcome me. And moment by moment, you and I must choose to yield our hearts and our lives to the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit and away from the power and the influence of our flesh. Now, you already know that, but I want to show you this in Scripture in a couple of places. Look, first of all, on the screen at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Peter didn't try to pretend like we don't have these desires. Peter said you do have these fleshly sinful desires and they war against your soul. Now you need to understand that Peter was writing to Christians. Christians who were facing persecution, severe persecution. Persecution that was so severe that they had been scattered away from where they would live, they used to live. And yet these Christians in the midst of persecution are fighting another battle. Not with the enemy, but with their own fleshly desires. These Christians are living in persecution, living in days of conflict, living in days where they're experiencing this battle against them. Peter says they're fighting another battle. They're facing a battle against sinful desires, he says, which wage war against your soul. That, war, that word war is an interesting word. It doesn't mean a quick little battle. That word war means a long, drawn-out military campaign. It's an ongoing, aggressive, relentless battle that he is referring to. Now, let me show you another scripture that, that shows us that we do have this ongoing conflict with sin. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, look on the screen. The Apostle Paul was writing and he said, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There again, we see this word, this implication that Christians have wrong desires. That Christians struggle with wrong desires from our sinful nature. He said... For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. In other words, here's the translation. Every moment of every day, 
my sinful, sinful nature desires things that are opposite of God's will and God's word. It is absolute opposite of what God wants in my life. Every moment of every day, my flesh has the potential to desire things that are against God's will and God's word. Major Ian Thompson said it better than I could ever say it. I'm going to put this on the screen. Hopefully you can see it in that small type. But he said, the flesh within you has never ceased to love sin and never will. Given half a chance, it will always manifest its corruption and depravity. This is why the godliest of men still have latent within them the most terrible potential for evil. It is the godliest of men who know it best, for it is the acknowledgement of this very fact which is the secret of their godliness. They have learned often by bitter experience that the character does not change for the better by improving the flesh, but only by allowing it to be replaced by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can render its pernicious appetites inoperative. See, this is the reason some of you might be struggling right now. This is the reason some of you maybe have been struggling for months or maybe even years. Your fleshly desires are fighting against your godly desires. Now, let me, let me be clear. Somebody get ready to say amen. The Holy Spirit living within us can give us victory when we yield to Him, right? Uh, you don't, no, you didn't help me. You didn't help me. The Holy Spirit living within us can give us victory over our fleshly desires. But that's just today. Tomorrow morning, game on again. Tomorrow morning, guess what's going to happen? Earthly, fleshly desires battling again against what the Holy Spirit desires for your life. Game on again. You see, it's a battle that we have to fight. And in that battle that we fight, listen carefully, sometimes we have to take drastic measures in order to win that battle. And that is the very thing Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 18. Would you open God's Word to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18. Ron? Would you do me a favor? Excuse me. Would you go to the kitchen and see if you can get me some water? I think there's a bottle there. My mouth feels like cotton today. I don't know why, but thank you, Ron. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to put this verse on the screen as well. Verse 8 and 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and do what with it? Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's painful. Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is one of those passages that make us say, Jesus said what? I, for those of you who are visiting today, we're in the middle of a series called Jesus Said What? And we're looking at those things that Jesus said that we sometimes find very hard to understand. Those things sometimes Jesus said that we would, honestly, 
wish he hadn't have said. There are those times when Jesus says things in Scripture that make us scratch our head and literally say, Jesus said, what? This is one of those passages, is it not? In this passage, Jesus is calling for us to take drastic action. Now, if you were to... Let's just use our imagination for a moment. Let's imagine that you come to me for counseling, and in the midst of that counseling, you confess your struggle with something, and I drag this out and say, you're going to need this. (laughs) Thank you, Ron. (laughs) He's walking in like, what is the pastor doing? (laughs) Thank you, Ron. So you come for me for counseling, and I drag this out, and I say, hey, you're going to need this. And then I open the Scripture. Let's go to Matthew 18. We're going to practice the Scripture today. Matthew chapter 18, and I read this, and it says, Now Jesus said, if you're struggling with with something, rather than being caught in that trap, it's better just to cut off your hand. If your hand's causing you to do something, better just to, to cut it off. If your foot, it's better just to cut it off. If your eye is causing you to, to get caught into, up into something and trapped in something, it's better just to, to, to gouge it out. Now, if I were to tell you that, you would look at me, if you didn't know this was in Scripture, you would look at me like, you've got to be crazy. But let me remind you that these are not the words of Keith, but these are the words of Jesus. Now, it just so happens, this just happened this week, I was walking my dog one morning, just this week, and I was talking to my neighbor. He was walking his dog, and, and I noticed that, that he had his hand bandaged from about here all the way to the end. It was, looked like a big ball bandaged up. And I, I stopped, and I said, man, what in the world happened to you? <clears throat> he said, well, I had my machete out, and I was cutting some honeysuckle off of the fence line and said when I, when I was cutting it off the fence line, it bounced up off the fence and went across my hand, and, and he cut off his knuckle and about half of his thumb. And then being the good men that we are, he got out his camera and showed me pictures of it. <laughs> and he showed me how it wouldn't stop bleeding and how the blood was pooling up and everything, you know. And we, we stood there talking about it, and I'm looking at his knuckle was just gone. And his thumb, half of it was just gone. Now, it just so happens I was working on this message this week when I saw that. It was a great visual for me because later I got to thinking, Lord, is that really what you're calling us to do? That's what Jesus calls us to do? Why is he calling us to take such drastic action regarding sin in our life? Now, let me pause here to say, this, this is a disclaimer, all right? Let me pause here to say, I don't believe that Jesus is asking you to maim your body. In fact, I want to be more direct. Jesus is not suggesting that you literally start going home today and start hacking away. All right, so let me say it one more time. Do not go home and get out a knife and start hacking away at your hand or your feet or your eyes. Children, do not do this. All right, I think we've covered it as far as the lawsuit, so let me go on. Have you ever said something in an exaggerated fashion to get your point across? 
has your wife ever done that for you guys? You know, she just, she just says something, or, or maybe it's the opposite way. Maybe, ladies, your husband just sometimes says something in an exaggerated fashion to get his point across. That's what Jesus is doing in this text. He's using what we call a hyperbole. And hyperbole is to make a point that extreme measures are sometimes required in order to remove the sinful tendency in our lives. So when he said to these disciples, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot leads you into sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He was using hyperbole. He was using an extreme example to make a point. He's not suggesting that you literally cut away your finger or your hand or your foot or gouge out your eye because even if you did that, it wouldn't change your spiritual condition of your heart. If you cut off one hand, guess what? You've still got another one to use to sin. If you cut off one foot, you've still got another one to use to sin. If you cut off one eye or gouge out one eye, you've still got another one to use in sin. And even if you were to cut off both feet or both hands or gouge out both eyes, you still have the heart issue that has not changed. See, it's not the hand that causes you to sin, it's the heart. So Jesus is not literally saying you need to cut these things off, but he was saying that he is saying this. You need to remove those things in your life and take drastic action if necessary that's leading you into sin. You see, we sometimes just do the opposite. We have a tendency to tolerate sin. We have the tendency to look at the sin in our lives and tolerate it. And we've tolerated it for weeks, or we've tolerated it for months, or we have tolerated it for years. We've justified it. We've explained it. We've made excuses for it. But Jesus, in this text, makes two important points that we need to heed. And here's the first one. Whatever is causing us to stumble into sin must be removed from our lives decisively and permanently. I will say that again because I'm hoping some of you are writing that down. Whatever is causing us to stumble into sin must be removed from our lives decisively and permanently. It's interesting. Look in the text. I will show you something. He says, verse 8, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, it, it causes you to sin. Verse 9, And if your eye causes you to sin, and some translation uses the phrase, causes you to stumble. The idea is this. Uh, sometimes there are certain sins that are stumbling blocks for us. The Greek word is, is the word skandalon, from which we get our English word scandal. It's talking about something that is like a, a bait that causes you to become trapped. It's something that trips a man up, something that sends him crashing downward. It's something that lures him into his own ruin. What is that trap for you? What is that scandal on? What is that, that thing that, that grabs you and won't let go? What is that thing you struggle with the most and sometimes struggle with repeatedly? Your trap might be another man's wife or another lady's husband. Your trap might be porn, or it might be alcohol, or it might be drugs, or it might be greed for money, or it could be a long list of, of other things. It can be anything which is 
in our lives that calls us to to sin, that, that leads us into ruin, that is a seduction to sin. Jesus said, if there's anything in your life that is a seduction to sin, if there's anything that in your life that causes you to stumble in your walk with me, then you need to, don't just taper it off, cut it off. There's certain things you don't, now our tendency is, I'm going to taper that off. I'm going to stop doing that as, as much. I'm going to try to do that less. I, and you start marking the calendar. This was a good day. This was a good day. Ooh, I messed up there. And you try just to, to sin less. You don't need to sin less. Jesus said there's, there are times when you need to take drastic action. He's using startling language, yes, to make an unforgettable point. The importance of cutting sin out of our lives. Now the problem is we really don't want to rid ourselves of sin. We'd rather manage it. That's really where we struggle the most, isn't it? Because when, when I start talking about cutting sin out of your life, it's like, yeah, I know, I, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, I know I need to, but, but I think I got it under control. We don't want to remove it. We don't want to be rid of it. We'd rather manage it. We don't want to give up that relationship. We don't want to give up that habit. We don't want to give up that job or give up those friends. We, we don't want to take drastic action. As I was reading this and studying it this week, I thought, I wonder how the disciples responded when he said that. I wonder how they, how they, how they thought, how they processed that. I, I wonder what, what was on their face. You know, what kind of emotion was seen on their face when he says, listen, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, probably Peter's looking at Thomas and saying, is he serious? And then he goes on to say, if your feet lead you into sin, cut your foot off. And, and if your eye leads you to sin, then gouge your eye out. And by the way, this is not the first time Jesus said this. We don't have time to look at it, but in Matthew chapter 5, he said something very similar. He said, if you look at a woman with, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Then he went into this whole thing. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. So the disciples are looking at one another like, here he goes again. What is he talking about? I think here's what you need to understand. Jesus was saying to those disciples and saying to you and me, you cannot be complacent with things that are ruining your life. You cannot be complacent with those things that continually trip you up. You cannot be complacent with things that are ruining your marriage. You cannot be complacent with those things that are causing you to fall and to stumble into sin. Which brings us to the second thing that Jesus said. That is, removing things from our lives may be painful and it may be costly, but it will be worth it one day. Look how he says it in the text, verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 he says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And then underline this, it is better for you. you might want to underline that. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Verse 9, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Underline it again. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
This is the reason we resist taking drastic action regarding our sin. It's because we think the cost is going to be too high. We think the pain will be too great. Taking drastic action to remove sin from our lives can be painful, no doubt about it. It can be embarrassing. It can be stressful. It can lead to some very difficult decisions. It is not normal, if you'd look up here please, it is not normal to say, yeah, I think I'm ready to do this. That's not normal. And when we have opportunities to address the sin in our lives, we begin to think immediately about the cost. We begin to think immediately about the pain, giving up that relationship, giving up that job, giving up that habit that is against God's will. And it may seem as painful as cutting off a hand or gouging out an eye. But remember this. Listen, listen, listen. Remember this. It doesn't have to feel good in order to be good may not feel good to do what you need to do. It may not feel good to take drastic action. But it doesn't have to feel good in order to be good. Jesus said, it's better for you. In the long run, it might be painful now, but in the long run, it's better for you. You'll take drastic action. You see, just because you don't like it, doesn't mean it's not helping you. It's better for you to experience the pain of removal now than to experience the pain of regret later. It's better for you. Costly? Yes. Painful? Probably. Embarrassing? Maybe. But it's better for you to experience the pain of removal now than the pain of regret later. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris and I went to a, a conference in Nashville, Tennessee, a NAM conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I don't remember why, but I, I was kind of in a hurry that particular morning. and <clears throat> So uh, I left my room, got my door key, and uh, I didn't get that little folder that it comes in, you know, but, but I got my door key. And I went down, and it's going to be, have to be a quick breakfast for some reason. I can't remember why, but it's going to have to be a quick breakfast. So I went down, and I got... Uh, a little thing of yogurt and a banana, and I went back upstairs uh, to my room. I was going to eat my breakfast up there and get ready. And so I went to my room, 202, and I put in my little key card. And, you know, you got a red light and a green light. And when I pushed in my key card, I got a red light. I thought, well, maybe I got it backwards. I turned it back around and put it in. I got a red light again. And so I looked at the room number, 202, and I put it in, and I put it in. You know, it's kind of like flipping the light switch. You just keep doing it over and over thinking maybe it's going to work, and well, it didn't. And so I stood there and thinking, oh, I had, that, I had that, that card up against my phone. I bet it's wiped it, wiped out the, the key, you know. And so I thought, I need to go downstairs, and I started to go downstairs to tell them that, that my, my card wouldn't work, and then I, I thought, was it really 202? Maybe it was 204. And so I went to 204, and I tried, tried 204. Now, let me give you a word of advice. If you start trying other locks, you need to do it quietly. Because I was afraid that somebody was going to hear me, you know, at their lock, and we're going to open the doors, like, what are you doing? And so I was at 204, and I went, red light. 
And I, I, I did it the second time, you know, it was real quietly. Red light. And I thought, I'd have been 206. So I went down to 206, and I did it again. And I, I started to go to 208, but somebody came out the door behind me, so I'm standing there like, oh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. So when he went around the corner, I went back to 208, and I went, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to open the door real quietly. And then it finally hit me. You dummy, when you came out of the elevator, I don't think you were supposed to turn, you're supposed to go right. It was 214. So I went down the hall to 214 and I tried to open that door. And then I went, well, maybe it was 212. I know there's a two, and there was I went to 212 and I tried to open that door. And again, I'm trying to be as quiet as I can be because I'm scared to death somebody's going to open the door. I probably tried to open about eight or nine doors that morning. Trying to find my room. I could not for the life of me remember my room number. So I decided I'm going to have to go downstairs and admit to this lady, ma'am, I don't know what my room number is. Could you give me my room number? So I go downstairs, and wouldn't you know it, all the preachers that were at this conference were staying at this one motel, and about half of them were standing in front of that table where she was. I I looked at those preachers and I looked at that lady and I thought, I am not going to tell everybody out loud that I don't know my room number. Then thankfully, I saw Chris over in the corner. He was eating his breakfast. So I went over to Chris and noticed the way I phrased it. I said, Chris, I don't know if there's something wrong with my card or or maybe I forgot my room number. I kind of threw that in there. Uh, I said, I don't know if I... Or if I've messed up my card, if I forgot my room number. Do you, do you remember what room number I'm in? And he said, yeah, you're in room 402. <laughs> I didn't tell him what I'd just done. I just, okay, thank you. Now, knowing the background, how insane would it have been for me to go back up to the second floor and try again to get into those doors, get into those rooms. Well, if I went back and said, you know, I believe if I'm just a little bit more disciplined, I can get that door open. I believe if I'm a little bit more determined, I can get that door open. Maybe if I try a little bit harder, I can get that door open. Maybe if I pray a little bit longer, I can get that door open. It's not going to work, is it? Because I'm on the wrong floor. It was only after I responded to the corrective information that Chris gave me I actually went to the right floor and was able to get in. And some of you, you come to church and you hear people and people have tried to counsel you and, and you've gotten the corrective information that you need and, and you're refusing to take drastic action. You just keep going back to the second floor again. You just keep thinking, if I try a little bit harder, I think I can conquer this thing. If I pray a little bit longer, I think I can cope with this. If, if, I, if, if I can just do a little bit more, maybe I need to start serving somewhere. Maybe, maybe I just need to... And you keep going back to the second floor, and it's never going to work. Doesn't matter how good your intentions are. Doesn't matter how committed you try to be. doesn't matter how disciplined you try to be. Jesus said there are some times when this is the only solution. There are some times when there is a sin that continually trips you up. When you have to decide, I cannot cope with this, I cannot conquer this, I'm going to have to cut this out of my life. 
I'm going to have to take drastic action. Because what I've been trying to do for the last several years is not working. So, some of you who perhaps are still struggling with some sin that has captured you. And you think in your mind that you can cope. You think in your mind that you can figure it out. You think that, That's what I did when I was on the second floor. I kept thinking, I can figure this out. If I stay here long enough, I'll remember which room it was. I can figure this out. And some of you are doing that. I can figure this out. I can cope with this. I can deal with this. But I want you to see this scripture. We'll put it on the screen. Proverbs 14, 22. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right. I think I can do this. I think I can conquer this. I think I can handle this. I think this will work this time. And Jesus said, No. No, your ways don't work. Sometimes you have to take drastic action. Don't taper it off. Don't decide you're going to try to a little bit harder. Don't decide that you're just going to pray a little bit longer. Jesus said sometimes, sometimes you just got to cut it out of your life. Remember, he said, cut off your hand and throw it away. Cut off your foot, throw it away. Gouge out your eye and throw it away. Sometimes, that's the only answer. Drastic, yes. Painful, yes. Embarrassing, probably. What would it be like to truly not have to worry with it anymore. What would it be like to truly say, God has helped me win this battle? Might just be worth it. Might just be worth it. We pray with you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for my brothers and my sisters. As some are very uncomfortable right now and some are very distraught inwardly. Because, Lord, I understand that there is a part of us that does not want to turn loose. There is a part of us that does not want to admit our struggles, there is a part of us that does not want to humble ourselves. There is a part of us who is convinced we can cope, we can manage our sin. But I pray that the truth of your word will ring loudly in their heart. I pray that the truth of your word would convince them of the action they must take. And then, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable them to do that. 
Because I know that myself included, we don't have the power within us. We don't have the ability within us. But may the power of the Holy Spirit living within us help us win this battle for your glory and for your honor. And I pray that in Jesus' name.